0: Good morning, everyone. Happy to have you on our chapel live stream today. We're looking forward to worshiping with you as well. Our first song is called Run to the Father, and we're asking that you would do that this morning. You would run to your Savior, Jesus, and lay your burdens before him because he can handle it and he is listening. Would you worship with us? I've carried a burden I've carried a burden For too long on my own And I wasn't created To bear it alone I hear your invitation To let all go and I see it now I'm laying it down and I know that I need you I run to the father I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding the no reason to wait my heart needs a surgeon my soul needs a friend So I run to the Father again and again and again and again Oh, oh, oh You saw my condition Had a plan from the start Your son for redemption the price for my heart and I don't have a context for that kind of love I don't understand I can't comprehend all I know is I need you I run to the Father, I fall into grace I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again and again and again. Oh, My heart has been in your sights Long before my first breath Running into your arms Is running to life from death And I feel this rush deep in my chest Your mercy is gone. Just as I am, you pull me in, and I know I need you now. I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father, I fall into grace, I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait, my heart found a surgeon, my soul found a friend, so I run to the Father again.
1: darling What a powerful name
2: God, that is what you are. That is what you are. You are powerful. You are powerful. You are wonderful. You are good. You are holy. You are righteous. And you are present in our circumstances. God, I thank you so much that even when we don't feel you close to us, when we don't have Answers to the hard questions when we can't see far into the future. You are still with us. And you are the same from age to age. From circumstance to circumstance. Who you are doesn't change and you do not waver. And God, I pray that the words of this song, Lord would go deep into our hearts this morning, that we would believe them, that we wouldn't just hear them or sing them, but they would take root, God, and they would dispel the darkness. They would speak to the lies of the enemy that come to discourage. May we remember the faithfulness of our God, the power of our God, the goodness of our God. Lord, I pray that um, as people are watching this morning, if people are weary of social distancing, if they are weary of an unknown month, if they're weary of an unknown future, may they cast their cares on you and remember that you care for them. God, give us strength. Please give us strength and grace to go the distance, to have perseverance, God, even as we wait and wait and wait in the unknown. And may we find um, a place of resting in you, a place of peace in you, and run to the Father, as we sang, that we would just fall into grace and find open arms to receive us. God, I pray also that you would bless Pastor James as he comes to preach God, speak mightily through him, anoint his lips and his heart, give him wisdom, God, um, to speak truth, to speak light in life, Um, to speak with confidence into the circumstances of each person watching this morning. And we praise you, we praise you, we praise you for this time of worship and that we can all be together, even though it's remotely, we can be worshiping you together. We thank you for the body of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.
3: Well, good morning. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter forty? Isaiah chapter 40 is where we're going to be looking. It says this in verse 9. Go up to the high mountains, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might And his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosoms and gently lead them that are young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, And weighed the mountains in a scale, and the hill in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust On a scale, behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offerings. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will we liken God or what likeness compare him? An idol, a craftsman cast it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and cast it. For silver chains, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skilled craftsman to set it up, an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? It is he who sits above, circles the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely they are planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. This is the sufficient, eternal, authoritative, life-giving, and life-changing word. Would you pray with me? So, so Father, as we, as we talk about this passage and as we look to this passage, I pray that you would remind us of your kind grace in your favor. Help us to be overwhelmed with your majesty and help us to behold you for who you are. Lord, as we are struggling today, help us to know that you are with us, that you are in us if we know Christ, and you are for us. So help us to find comfort and rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we live in a uh, broken world today, don't we? And we are finding a world that is futile in their solutions as we struggle with the things that are problem-ridden in this world, the wars, the famines, the viruses that are there. And humanity is looking for answers, trying to find answers to solving this great problem. We live in dark days. We live in bitter days. We live in challenging times. There is a restlessness that happens in life. There is a futility that happens as well, that as people are struggling, what they are doing is they're looking for shelter. They're looking for comfort. They're looking for rest, and they're finding none of it. As they go, when we see broken homes, we see disparaging disparaging parents, we see Those that have come to the end of their lives and they say that it's lonely. There are some that are sparing of life in total. Some are turning to addictions and turning to things to comfort them, to anesthetize the pain that they're going through. Perhaps that's one of you today. Perhaps the discouragement that you're going through is seemingly overwhelming. The worries, the hurt, the anger, the despondency, the perplexity of life. Do you find yourself crushed with guilt, paralyzed with anxiety, in dark despair, suffocating stress, unrelenting fears and worries? Does that sound like you? If it does, I want you to know that this is similar to what was going on in Isaiah's world. They didn't even realize it at the time. They were thinking they were at peace and peace was fleeting. God had... um, graciously warned them what was going to happen that within a hundred years or more they were going to be overcome and they were going to be taken captive but god was saying that because of their failure to follow him and because of their failure to rest in him he was still going to bring a punishment upon them but in spite of that he was going to offer them grace see as we look for comfort in things of this world we will find that it will not provide ultimate comfort that's why Isaiah wrote his book, and that's why God chose to use Isaiah to speak that good news out, that there is a desperate problem that you have, but there is a solution found in God. The last time I was with you, I got an opportunity to speak on the first 11 chapter, eleven verses from Isaiah 40. And you remember in that section, if you remember back to that uh, sermon, We were talking about these comforting words that God provided for his people, similar comforting words he's giving us today. It was a comforting word of gospel grace. You remember where it said, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. That God is speaking out of the darkness and the despair that we're going through. Out of the storm, he is speaking to us and saying that I want to provide you comfort. And he says, you remember, it was a emphasized comfort. It's comfort, comfort, my people, says the Lord. He's, it's an exclusive comfort. It was for God's people. And it was a comfort that was going to be greater than all of their sins, all of their troubles, all of their trials. So he gave them a comforting word of gospel grace. We need to hear that today. But you remember, secondarily, there was a comforting word of a coming king. That there was a voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. That God was calling him to prepare the way for this coming king to come. They were going to prepare the roads for him as he's coming into the land, this coming king. And not only did we hear the gospel grace, not only did we hear of the coming king, but we heard of the eternal word of God. That God has given us his word. He said that all the things in this world are like grass. They they flower for a moment and then they're gone. But the word of the Lord endures forever. So God has been so gracious to us to condescend to give us his word. To, to help us to understand who he is and who we are and what he requires of us. It's so so amazing. And then you remember after those three words of comfort, the grace, the gospel grace, the coming king, the eternal word. Then he says, I want this invitation to go out to my people. Behold your God. I need you to hear that today. I need you to hear that. We need to hear the good news that God has come among us and he wants to display himself to us. Behold your God today. You remember we began last time and we saw that that God was a conquering warrior. That all the armies of the world could not offend and could not go against this conquering warrior. Then we saw that he was the sovereign Lord. He's a sovereign Lord who is rewarding us and rewarding his people. But then that conquering warrior, that sovereign Lord is a tender shepherd. Amazingly, he takes his lambs in his arms this the shepherd nurtures he feeds us he protects us he will even lay down his life for us see that's the god that we serve that is the god that we can look to today we need to look to him so now the question that you may have and the question that the people had was this you're making promises to me you're saying to me that you can do this but can you you want to save me, you want to protect me, you want to nourish me, you want to comfort me, but can you? And the rest of this, this section in Isaiah 40 is about a God who can, a God who is able, a God who can do this. And what Isaiah is saying is this, he is promising you that you can behold your God. This morning, I want us to consider some principles about God that are here in this passage. First, I want you to consider the unlimited power of God, that God's power is not limited by anything. Second, I want you to understand his unsearchable wisdom, and actually, to be honest, there's no way we can understand his unsearchable wisdom, but we're going to try. His unsearchable wisdom, his unlimited and his ultimate authority. The uniqueness of God as well. And then I want you to know the unconquerableness of his sovereignty. So let's start with this, his unlimited power. This is a God that we can and must trust in. He says here in verse 12, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in a scale and a hill in a balance. What I, what I will say is this Isaiah is going to use a series of rhetorical questions. And when he's using these rhetorical questions, it's not meant for us to necessarily answer them. Or why don't we say this? It's not to elicit new information. It is an answer that is so clear, it's a statement of reality. He is saying that I'm asking you this question, but there can only be one answer to it. And so he begins this section by focusing on the unlimited power of God, the infinite power of God, his might theologians call that his transcendence. His transcendence, and that means he is otherworldly. He is perfect. He is whole. He is superior. He is unequaled, unmatched, unlimited. That's who we serve as God. These rhetorical questions that he's bringing up are saying this, that there is no way that we could find anything but God. What he wants us to remind ourselves of is what Luther said to his friend Erasmus, Your God is too small. Maybe we have some of the same problems today that we see the problems that we're going through in this life as so overwhelming. We see viruses and death and financial issues so big and so mighty, but the God that we serve is greater. One pastor in his sermon said this, better to have a small faith in a great God than to have a great faith in a small God. I wonder this morning, how big is your God? How majestic is he? How sovereign is he? How unlimited is he? How ultimate is he? How infinite is he? See, as Isaiah is talking here, he is saying that this God measures the waters in the hollow of his hand. I was trying to think think about that. Just in the hollow of your hand, how much water can you hold in that hollow? I was thinking about if I was trying to fill my sink in my bathroom with The hollow water of my hand, how many times would I have to dump water to fill that sink? Or how about now I move from the sink and once I filled that, how long would that take? Now I'm going to try my bathtub. And now if I have a swimming pool, let's try to fill that. I want you to think about the local pond that you have. I want you to think about the lakes of this world. I want you to think about the oceans of this world. And God has that all in the hollow of his hand. It's amazing that this God is so ultimate in his power, so transcendent in his nature, that he holds it in the palm in the hollow of his hand. I want you to hear the words of a craftsman here. It says that he has measured the waters, he has marked off the heavens, he has weighed it on the scale and balance. We have a craftsman, a master craftsman, who is at work in our lives and in this world. He goes on to say that he has marked off the heavens with a span. A span back in ancient times, the way they would measure is that they would take the, from the length of your thumb to your small finger. That was a span. And it was almost as if God says, I am marking off the heavens with the span of my hand. That is the immensity of the God that we serve. He marked off the heavens. He marked off the worlds. And I I want you to see this word. He says, heavens, plural. It's plural. It's not just the universe that we can see. It's not just the galaxies that we can see. It's beyond our galaxies. He has marked it with the span of his hand. What an amazing God that we serve. We, We have this tendency to make the struggles of this life so big. And they are very small in light of who God is. To give you a sense of God's greatness, I want you to consider this. That light travels at the speed of, watch this, five point eight seven zero 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 zero. If you didn't catch that, it was 5.87 trillion miles Per year, I want you to consider that our solar system is 100,000 light years in diameter. I want you to consider that our sun is one of 200 billion stars in the galaxy. It would take us 687,000 years to travel our solar system, and that's just our solar system. And that God marks it with a span on his hand. I want you to consider this point. I want you to consider that that God is so infinite, so great, so awesome, so unlimited that we should be able to trust him. And the struggles that we go through are like nothing in comparison to him. He goes on to say that I've enclosed the dust of this earth in a measure, in a basket, literally. "um, And I've weighed the mountains on a scale and the hills in a balance. Let me tell you, I get on the scale in the morning, and uh, I really want to lose some weight. And as I get on the scale, I don't ever consider a speck of dust on that scale. Never consider it. It doesn't, it's not consequential to who I am. It's not consequential to the weight. And what God is saying is this, that if you take all of the mountains, all of the lands, it is not consequential when it comes to who God is. It's amazing. This God, let that Blow your mind that the transcendent God who's transcended over all of nature, that should be so inspiring to you. That should be so comforting to you, that this God of glory beyond the galaxies, He is with you today if you trust Him. So many of us try to put God in a box, we try to figure Him out. If we could put God in a box, and if we could figure Him out, He would not be worthy to be the God that we should be serving. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is incomprehensible. He is measureless. That is the God that we serve. He is great and awesome is he. Steve Lawson in his sermon on this text said this. I love this quote. Consider that no prayer is too hard for God. No circumstance too difficult for God for God to overturn no obstacle too hard to remove no door too hard to open no no heart heart too hard to humble no soul too hard to save that God wants to be able to do things in your life so whatever trial whatever trouble whatever circumstance whatever difficulty that you may be going through i need you to know that God is unlimited in his power behold your god second isaiah moves in verses 13 through 14 from the unlimited power in his nature to in the unsearchable wisdom of god he is all-knowing see it here it says this who has measured the spirit of the lord or who has shown him to be his counsel paul picks this up in romans chapter 11 he says whom did he consult verse 14 here who made him to understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Or who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? I want you to consider that God's wisdom is inscrutable. God's wisdom is beyond that anything that we could have. Now, I want you to think of a God who is all-powerful and a God who is infinitely wise. He is infinite in his intelligence. He is infinite in his knowledge. He is all-knowing, omniscient, always. Robert Raymond said it this way, the all-wise God is at every moment cognizant of everything that ever was, now is, or ever shall be. That's the God that you serve. The God who is in complete control, and he has the universe in the span of his hand, and that same God knows everything. There is not a hidden thought that God has regarding you. You may hide things from other people. You may keep other people out of your confidence, but there is nothing that is kept in confidence when it comes to God. He knows everything about us. I want you to consider this. He knows himself exhaustively, but he knows you and his creation exhaustively. He knows you all instantaneously, simultaneously, and everlastingly. That is how God knows you. He has never learned anything. No one has ever taught him anything. No one has ever counseled him. He's never come up with a new idea. There's never a fact in the universe that catches him by surprise. I want you to ponder this, that he knows all things. I wonder if that truth of the all-powerful God and the God that knows all things, is that a comfort to you? is that Is that a comfort and a, a a consolation to you, or is that a terror to you? See for those of us that are in Christ that that God knows us, he says there 's no more condemnation, no separation from his love that that God wants to be your father, that God has brought you into his family, that God loves you with an everlasting love that 's the God that we have, the awesome God, the all knowing God. Wants to be in relationship with his people. And that should give us such great comfort today. That should be the God that we serve today. So I want you to consider this, that he is unlimited in his power. He is unsearchable in his wisdom. But now he says this, he says here that he is ultimate in his authority. Now you saw it here, he says, who has measured um, the spirit of the Lord, who's been his counselor, whom did he consult, and whom did he understand, who has taught him the path of justice, or taught him knowing, or showed him the way of understanding, and then he says here in verse 15, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, they are counted as dust on a scale, behold, he takes up The coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beast, enough for burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing emptiness. The ultimate authority of God, he is all powerful. Isaiah now moves from the created order, and he then moved to the knowledge of God, and now he moves to the nations, and he's focusing on the nations, and I think this is specific for his people at the time, because he was telling them that there was going to be an invading army that was going to come and conquer them, and maybe they were afraid of all the things that were happening around us. Maybe you today are struggling with some of those exact same fears. Maybe you're struggling with pandemics or maybe you're struggling with terrors or maybe you're struggling with nations that may invade us. And I want you to consider this, that they are, as the passage says, nations are like a drop in the bucket. We have this water cooler at home and, you know, periodically, it actually happens a lot, um we have to change the water on that water cooler. And so we get a bottle and we open it up and we drag the bottle over there and we put it into the machine. And sometimes what happens is some water spills out and it spills out on the floor. Do we we pick it up? No. We wipe it up. And it's gone. It's inconsequential. And in essence, that is what God is saying is that it's not just water on the floor. It's the nations are like a drop from a bucket. Nobody ever considers a drop from a bucket. And they're accounted like dust on the scales. Sometimes we find ourselves so heavy laden and overwhelmed with the oppressive military powers, the the political powers that are out there, and we, we worry so greatly about them. And Isaiah is saying this, behold. Watch it again. He's, he's come back to this word two times in this section. He says, behold that the nations are nothing. And then behold, he takes them up like the coastlands. He is asking you to take note of this. Take a look at this. Ponder this. Consider this deeply. That the great God that we serve who has creation, the great God who knows everything, this great God is greater than all the things that we see around us. All these nations that we get so concerned about, so overwhelmed about, all the prestige, all the political power, all the military might are but a drop from the bucket when it comes to God. The nations of this world are not consequential. They're really not significant. When you think about it, human leaders come and they go. They are born, they come to power, and then they die. They leave office and they die. Nation after nation, ruler after ruler, and there is one ruler that stands forever, and that's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I don't want you to mistake me here. Nations are important in this sense. God has ordered nations so that we can have some order in this world, but I want you to know that God is the one that is over those nations. And even when those nations are doing evil, even when those nations are doing wrong, they cannot do anything, but God's hand leads them and their end will be sure, and judgment will come for those that do evil. And so, so God is saying this, I want you to be not fearful of the powerful or the prestigious. I don't want you to be overwhelmed with the wickedness of this world. I want you to be overwhelmed with the God that is with you. Take a deep breath on that. Let that so saturate your mind and your heart that the God of glory beyond our galaxies, the majestic one, is sovereign over this nation. I want you to reflect on that. I want you to meditate on that. I want you to see the greatness of God. I want you to see that he is great and he is good. Look here in verse 16. It says this, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor its beast enough for burnt offerings. He's now thinking from the nations to almost a church service, a temple service. And he is saying that humanity tends to try to sacrifice to please God, to appease God, to atone for their wrongdoing. And and God says this, that if you take all of the land of Lebanon, they had these immense trees in Lebanon, and it's like if you took all the trees from Lebanon, it would not suffice to appease this god if you took all the animals of this world and sacrificed them there is nothing that would appease this god he is just too great he is too awesome it would not be enough so many people today are trying to atone for their sins or appease their god through things that they do and i need you to know that just like the trees in lebanon and just like all the animals of this world would not suffice all of our works will not suffice To atone for the sacrifice that is needed for sins. That this great and awesome God, this great God who knows all things, this great God who is so authoritative in this world is a God that we will stand in judgment before. And that could terrify some. But for those of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ, it is ultimate peace and security. So we have found this, that he, he says that the Lebanon is nothing, the, the worlds are nothing. And he ends here in verse 17, he says, all the nations are as nothing before him. So he's summarizing it all. They were accounted by him as less than nothing. You hear that? They are less than zero when it comes to a comparison to God. The nations before him are accounted as less than nothing, less than zero. How empty that must be. All of the powers of this earth and all of the might of this earth are as nothing before him. We need to recover a biblical worldview of God and that we understand who God is and we understand what God has done for us. We can worship him. See, when we get a high vision of God, that produces high worship for God. But sad to say today, there's so many of us that have such a low view of God. We become so overwhelmed with the problems of this world that we miss God. And when we miss God, we miss hope and comfort that he wants to provide for us. So we've seen that he's unlimited in his power. We've seen that he's unsearchable in his wisdom. We see that he's the ultimate authority. Behold your God. Now I want you to see here that he is unique among all. He's unique among all. Verse 18, it says, To whom then will we liken God? Or what likeness compare him with? An idol? A craftsman crafts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it in silver chains. See, what Isaiah is saying here is this. Isaiah is saying that he's moving to the unique character of God. There is no one like him. He is the only God. He surpasses every idol that is in this world. Now, back in ancient times, they would craft these idols and they would lay them over with gold or silver. Maybe it's a tree. Maybe it's a piece of wood. Whatever it is, we see a a, a hilarious um, story in Samuel where there's this God, Dagon, and the Ark of the Covenant comes in was placed into the room with Dagon, and the statue falls on its face. And and the people look and they say, oh no, their, their God has fallen on its face, so then they put it back up there, and then it falls down, and now it's broken. There is no God, no God, no God that is comparable to the God that we serve. See, idolatry back then is maybe different than our idolatry, but at the heart of it's not any different. It's people that are looking for significant security and satisfaction in something other than God, other than the true God. And we may not worship material things today as they did, but maybe our material things are different. Maybe it's the cars we drive. Maybe it's the bodies that we have. Maybe it's the homes that we have. Maybe it's the job. Maybe it's our bank account. There are things that it comes down to, sex or money or some level of power. There are forms of idolatry that are similar today at heart level that were similar back in that day. And the idolatry is foolish because it can't compare to God. We cannot be compared to God anything. It's the funny thing about an idol. It's something that we can control. But if it's a true God and we could control the God, then it is not worthy to be a God that we worship. See, the God of our God, the God of the scriptures, is a God that we cannot control. He is above us. We are not above Him. He serves us by giving to us. We are called to serve Him as well. But we can't give anything to Him. He doesn't need anything, He is not improved by anything. From us, and that great God wants to have a relationship with with you. That great God says there is a gulf that is so great because of sin between me, us, and my humanity, and that I want to bridge that gulf. And before we had ever come into this world, before the world had ever existed, God had planned. The Father had planned to send His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to bridge that gulf for us. And that the Lord Jesus Christ lived every day from the womb all the way to the cross and then the grave. Perfectly righteous for every single person that would ever trust in him. And that then when he rose victoriously, he rose victoriously to confirm that the payment that Christ offered was accepted in full. What an amazing story that the great God who has been offended by us has condescended to come to us to bring us to him. It's the gospel. And then the father planned our salvation, the son provided for our salvation, but the Holy Spirit then did what? He is the pledge of your salvation. He brings you to faith. He brings us the word to convict us. He says, this is your God and we are humbled before him and we, we come to faith in him. He regenerates us. He brings us to faith and then he holds us in faith with the father and with the son. Oh, such an amazing story. And what what Isaiah is saying here is that the God that you serve is unlike any other God that is out there. Paul in Romans 1 says that we have this tendency to try to make gods of things that are happening around us. And the fact of the matter is is that there is nothing that will suffice for him. J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, put it this way, that the idols that we have in this world are either material things or mental things. And either, either way, we are trying to represent God through the physical things that we have or the mental ideas, And I want you to know your imaginations, your ideas about who God is are not true unless they line up with God's word. How often is it that I know I've heard, how often is it that you've said, I like to think of God this way? And more often than not, as soon as we go down the path of, I like to think of God this way, we are not finding the biblical standard of who God is. In Acts chapter 17, Paul was preaching and he said this, the God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of the heavens and the earth does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. See, this God is the great God. It's interesting that when we cast an idol, we think we can control it. This God, we can't. Isaiah seems almost incredulous here when he says an idol, that an idol is going to surpass the greatness of our God. A.W. Tozer put it this way the essence of idolatry is this it's to entertain thoughts of God that are unworthy of Him. So, brothers, um, sisters, my friends, what type of thoughts do you have about God? What are the thoughts that tend to be there for you? Are you overwhelmed with your fears? What kind of thoughts about God could help you with that? Are you crippled with stress? Is the fact that God is powerful, the fact that God is all-knowing, God is, is the ultimate authority, God is the only God, can that help you with the crippling stress that you go through? Can you find help for your guilt in anything but the risen Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ? How about those questions and those doubts that you have in this life? Where do you go to get those answers The answer is found in the person and work of Christ. Far too many believers go to the world's wisdom and the world's ways to find answers to their struggles, and they are missing it. God wants to give you rest, and God wants to give you comfort. I want you to be overwhelmed with the fact that God has revealed himself to us. He didn't have to do that, and we would never have found him on our own. And he has revealed himself to us in creation. He has revealed himself in our conscience. He has revealed himself in his word. He has revealed himself in his son, Christ. He's revealed himself constantly to you, and he beckons you, come to me. Come to me. So at this point, what have we learned? We have learned that God is ultimate in his power, unsearchable in his wisdom, I want you to know that he is ultimate, he is unique in his comparison to all other gods. And he ends with this, he is unconquerable when it comes to his sovereignty. Behold your God. Verse 20 says this, 21, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? He goes back to the rhetorical questions. He is going back to saying, I need you to hear this. I need you to consider this. I want you to ponder this. Do you not know implies that you do know. Have you not heard implies that you have heard. He has said, this is from the beginning. This is so elementary. This is so basic. God is God. We are not. We need him. That is the basic aspect of our lives. Have you not understood it? Have you not understood? He is unconquerable in his sovereignty. Hear it. Verse 22 It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like what? Grasshoppers. That we're like an insect. This morning, a little bug was flying around, and I swat. It was gone. It was gone. And in essence, if we are trying to compare ourselves with that God, we are like grasshoppers before him. Grasshoppers, keep going. He says, he stretches out his heavens like a curtain. He's like opening the curtains in the morning. That's what he does when he opens this world. He, he spreads them out like a tent. He brings princes, the powers, to nothing. And he makes rulers of this earth as emptiness. This is the ultimate God that we serve. Behold, your God, he's not comparable, he's not measurable, he's too great for anything that we can ever imagine. The princes and the rulers of this world are as nothing before him. The people of great influence, they may have influence for a moment. The politicians, the celebrities, they're here for a moment and then they're gone. Watch this in verse 24, he says, scarcely... Are they planted and scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. They have not any, they don't have a deep root at all. It's, it's, they're, they're almost nothing. And almost like a dandelion, watch this. He says, when he blows on them, they wither and the tempest carries them away. I want you to know that God is unlimited in his power. I want you to know that God is unsearchable in his wisdom. I want you to know that God is ultimate in authority. I want you to know that God is unique among all gods. I want you to know that he's unconquerable in his sovereignty. See, this majestic one is a personal one. See, the fact is, is that when we look at ourselves as grasshoppers or dust, does, does that mean that I have no value before you, God? No. In, in comparison to our abilities, our significance, no, we are like grasshoppers. Or we we're like dust. But you are so valuable to him that, that God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to leave heaven for you. That he, he knows your name. He knows your every thought. He sees every tear that has fallen. And he is there for you. And he is beckoning you. Now, as a king, he doesn't have to offer us anyone into his presence, but he has offered us into his presence by one person. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. That God that he came here, he took on a human flesh, he fully God and fully man, truly God and truly man, lived this life perfectly and righteously for us because we couldn't live a day that way. And that great God who has been offended has sent his son to live for us and to die for us and to rise for us and now is seated at the right hand of his father interceding for his believers. Can you imagine that the Holy Spirit is praying for you right now today if you're a believer? And can you imagine that the Lord Jesus Christ right now is at his father's right hand praying for you if you know him? I'll end with this verse 25, God's voice comes in. He says, to whom will you compare me? See, Isaiah has been making this statement before, and now God enters the picture, and he says, I'm going to take this. He grabs the microphone. He says, I'm taking the stage. To whom will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. God's voice Now enters the majestic one, the transcendent one is also personal and he's intimate and he comes to you. I want you to know that he is not only a God that the desires to comfort you, but he's a God that is capable of comforting you. He is a God that is worthy of your trust. He is a God that is worthy of your worship. There's that song that goes this way. It goes this, it says, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full into his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will go what, you know it, strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let the majestic one, the transcendent one, the personal one, the one who came to be with you, give you peace and comfort. Would you pray for me? pray with me so lord you are you're amazing father i thank you for your unlimited power i thank you for your unsearchable wisdom i thank you that you're the ultimate authority thank you for your uniqueness and thank you for the fact that you're not conquerable you're unconquerable Father, I don't know what the struggles are for my brothers, my sisters, my friends here today, but you know them because you know everything about them. I pray today, if they've never trusted in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray today is the day that they will bend their knee in humility. Because this whole section is about humility, let us humble ourselves before you. Help us to recognize our sin. Help us to recognize the gap and help us to recognize there was only one person that that can meet that gap. There was only one person that can atone for sins, and it was the Lord Jesus Christ. So help us to look to him and turn our eyes upon him. For the many of us that do know him, Lord, I pray that we would be so overwhelmed with your son. I pray that we would be spirit-filled. I pray that we'd be word-centered, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, ultimately glorifying of your name. And I pray that we would not become overwhelmed with the things of this world. And I pray that we would hear comfort, comfort from you, gospel comfort bought by your Son, offered to us. Help us to rest in that today. In your Son's matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings.